Welcome to another episode of the official podcast of The Unsexy Startup. This is your host, Samai Parikh. We talk about what it truly takes to build a company and not just the highlights. On this episode, we have CEO and founder of Upshow, Adam Herson, on to talk about the challenges of sales and marketing and how to gain traction at an early stage. Adam, thanks so much for hopping on the podcast. You bet. Happy to be here. Awesome. So let's dive right into the questions, Adam. You had several companies prior to Upshow and you had experience consulting for major companies as well. How do you come up with Upshow and what was that traction like or transition like? Oh, gosh. Um, I think the problem is ideas are constantly popping into my head. And I think nine out of 10 of them I talk about with my wife and she says, that's stupid. And so they never go anywhere. But a fair bit of them have actually made it past that step. And uh, I was actually working for a private equity firm in 2011, um, was starting to get the entrepreneurial itch, started to catch up with one of my friends who was running digital media at Playboy, Matt Gibbs, who's now our co-founder and CMO. And uh, we thought this whole concept of user-generated content uh, and people sharing experiences on social media was going to be really important for brands. And so over many burgers and many beers, we put together a business plan for a marketing agency with a little bit of technology that could help brands like Harley Davidson, Mondelez, and Target figure out how to get their guests and consumers to share about the brand on social media. So we set off on that path. We left our day jobs and you know the journey led us in many different directions, but ultimately to build the company we have today, which is called Upshow. And um, our whole mission is to help uh, help create really custom social TV marketing channels uh, inside of venues and brands. Um, so our whole our whole goal is to get customers and guests to look up and smile at the TVs inside the venues where they are because they love social media, and um, that's what we do. And it's been an interesting path to get here. What you said that you guys had to, you know, take the leap of faith full time. What was that transition like uh, leaving a full time job going into the unknown? What was going through your head at that time? Yeah, it's tough. You're certainly having plenty of gut check moments like, wow, am I making the wrong decision? You know, what's the contingency plan if I can't provide for myself or my family? How do you gauge success? So, it's a stressful time. And it's funny, I think as people do this, sometimes they end up in a situation where their peers and, and coworkers are fully supportive, and sometimes not. And I actually was doing a, an interim role at one of our portfolio companies and working closely with the CEO. And, uh, and he actually made me think twice. He said, Look, I really, I want you to stay. I think what you're doing or thinking about doing is really risky. <laughs> and so, um, you know, he said, it's, it's a much more predictable track to, to work for great companies and, and, you know, and try and become a CEO one day. And so that was tough. That was tough to grapple with. And, and you just got to power through it and plan and one day leads to the next and hold yourself accountable to actually put progress in place. And, um, it's a tough, it's a tough, tough thing to do. I think you got to kind of just head down and push through and make calculated decisions and you got to have a plan. And with like, and with this, this venture with Upshow, you, you've had previous ones before. Was it that, you know, you've, you've, you've been through that risk before, so you were able to stomach it? 
Yeah, it was a little less unknown. It was it was a little less unknown, but it's so wild. When when you jump off, you have nothing, right? Like it's it's an idea, it's a plan, it's a little piece of technology, it's a little bit of pilot momentum, whatever it is. And then I, you know, you look, it's like, you know, two and a half years down the road today, we have so much, right? And it's like, and it's almost painful to think of how much it takes to to build something. Um, And it always takes longer than you think. But um, so I think even though, like, even for people that have done it before, like, there's still a lot of stress (laughs) and fear because, you know, you're starting something completely brand new. So maybe you have 10% comfort <laughs> in sort of knowing knowing how the roller coaster ride works, but every time I've I've dove into a new venture, it's it's almost equally as exciting and you know, positive anxious energy, so that's what it's been like. And you know, most entrepreneurs experience trouble with traction um starting out. What was that sexiest moment for Upshow in regards to traction? Um, knowing that this is another venture for you. And how do you feel after this moment? Like walk us through the first traction. What was that like? And how did you get it? And what was the feeling? Yeah, we had, um, we started in Chicago and we had salespeople um, that were going to bars and restaurants. I mean, um, we still service bars and restaurants, but they were our first natural customer because people love to go out to social venues and share on social media and see themselves on TV. And so bars were a really natural start for us. And, um, we went out ourselves and partnered with a couple salespeople who were employees, number one and two at the company. And it just, it just turned over immediately. I mean, I think that summer, uh, late summer, 2015, early fall in the first 90 to 120 days, we, we had a couple hundred, bars and restaurants in the Chicagoland area using using the product. And it felt it felt great, but I think we knew at every step you're just thinking about, okay, what next? You know, so people people like the product. You know, now how do we make it so we're providing a great service and solving their problems for a long period of time? <laughs> and you know, first you're thinking like, wow, if they would just keep it in for six months, we'll learn so much. <laughs> and and wow, if we can just keep keep them using the product for a year, that'll be great. And All right. What is a two and three year life cycle look? And are we continuing to provide the same level of value and solve the same problems that, that we, that we go into or that we say uh, on the front end. And so it was really exciting to see that happen. Cause I think when you sell hundreds of customers, you know, you have something, but there's, there's so many different ways you could still muck it up. <laughs> so you're always thinking about the next step. Let's switch to the unsexy, Adam. Tell us about an unsexy moment with Upshow that you remember clearly. What did you feel was your unsexiest moment till date? And what was going through your head at this moment? Oh, wow. There's been a lot of unsexy moments. You know, product failure is tough, especially when it's, especially when you're in front of the customer. (laughs) So if you're in a, a relatively important pitch meeting and you have product failure, um, that's embarrassing. It, it depletes some of the credibility and, and I've learned with technology and product, you're always going to have failure. I mean, you know, technology and especially as you scale it is always a handful of steps away from trouble and risk and (laughs) potentially disaster, but it's all about managing and mitigating that. But, you know, uh, it doesn't feel good when, uh, 
your product fails and and then you have to sort of uh be patient while you um while you take on that road to recovery um so those that's probably the the most unsexiest of times is when you've built a relationship with a customer they trust you they're excited for what you have to offer and uh and then you have to apologize and then you got to rebuild trust and credibility and and you do that mostly through relationship building and and trying to be uh humble and fair uh, speaking of like product failure what are some maybe one or two actionable steps off the top of your head if you can think of it that newcoming founders can take for you know maybe they messed up in front of a, a customer or beta test how could they handle that fire yeah the num- number one suggestion i i think and i've learned this uh, over many <laughs> mistakes and failures is just stay calm. You know, life happens, products, fa- you know, products fail from the top technology companies in the world, right down to, to startups. The product will always fail at some point. And so just stay calm, be transparent and honest. Um, and, and then just take a really objective view as to how to solve the situation. I mean, even if you're not technical, um, you know, just talk with your technical people and say, all right, what happened? What's the root cause? Uh, what do we need to do to fix it? How long will it take? What's the risk that it breaks again? Right. And then you, and then you just, you, you take that 360 degree view of everything you've learned and everything that you know. Um, and you uh, just try and turn it around and communicate it as effectively and honestly as, as you can. Um, and I think all the while being patient and calm is actually the most important thing because honestly, there was, there's been some failures at many points in many different ventures where it just feels like the sky is falling. Um, you know, and then you can't even imagine that two weeks later, you can get to a really great repaired state with your customer and trust and, and learning so many great lessons from, from that. So I think it's important to be patient, stay calm, and then be, be objective and strategic as far as how you review and debrief on what happened and 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 you'll sort of ultimately find the the best path forward. Adam, let's focus more on sales and traction. This is probably in my opinion from what I see is the unsexiest thing for startups and it's probably one of the biggest reasons uh startups fail just because they can't find a product market fit or a sales cycle may take too long. Um this all falls in the same category and I feel most founders are experiencing this pain, you know, product fires are another thing, but I think there's two sides to it. Um, what do you think are some of the biggest mistakes from your experience that founders make early on with sales and traction? Oh man. Yeah. That's a tough one. Cause I've been there. The, the common misnomer I think is that sales just sort of happen, you know, through word of mouth, through getting product exposure. And really it's, it's an art that requires repetition and, and fitness. You know, it's like deciding you're going to be really healthy and fit and go to the gym every day. There's just, there's just things that have to be done and, and they're actually sort of relatively wooden and boring, right? Like, you know, you got to make a hundred phone calls a day to convert <laughs> two customers and, and you got to have a pipeline this big and this many leads to make that many calls a day. And, you got to get your script right and, and talk about the value proposition, be able to define define it quickly and clearly. And and you sort of have to run this whole analytical model. And I think a lot of people, when they think about sales, they just think, hey, if the product's cool, it's, it'll sell. And um, 
it's just surprising how many people tell you to f off but but they're not telling you to f off because they know your product and they think it stinks or they are hearing you and they think you stink it's just it's natural <laughs> people don't want to be bothered um so i think the routine and the repetition of building the numbers behind sales which is ugly when you say like wow if i if i'm going to get 25 sales i got to make 700 phone calls right and that's ugly people don't want to think about that but that's the reality um and then it's i think preparedness to to be told no like more often than not like if you're going to if you're a founder and you're going to take on sales or you're going to find people that will it's just a threshold like a tolerance for no because you're going to be told no more often way more often than you're told yes and i think i think there's a sense of of comfortability around building the strategy to hear no nine times out of 10, but to hear yes, one time out of 10. And that's, that's how you're going to build your sales momentum. And then then the last thing is talent. I think if you can sell great, if you can't sell, you got to find great talent that can. And that, that doesn't just mean people with vibrant energy to be entrepreneurs. It, It has to be people with proven sales talent that they've been at, at great companies selling those are some of my learnings uh, be ready to be told no you gotta iron out a true sort of analytical model with daily activity standards that have to be done and that that sounds like chores right <laughs> it sounds like you gotta you know do your chores as a child take out the garbage wash the dishes clean <laughs> you know clean up your room right and it's like sales is the same thing it's x calls a day y emails a day you know, Z follow-ups a day, uncover new leads every day. Um, and then just, if you're not the person that's going to be doing it, you got to get great talent. You got to find someone who's done it before. Let's talk more about that. I, I've even experienced that myself. I've, I've worked with founders where they were more technical. Um, and this happens a lot and they're not the selling type yet. They will rely so much on another individual to sell, but then there's some fires that happen that if that SDR, for example, leaves or that AE leaves, um, they have nobody to rely on for sales and then they bottleneck up and get frustrated. Um, Were you handling a lot of the sales early on before your first two hires or were you like, were you aware enough to be like, you know what, if prospecting wasn't my strength, I should hire right away. What was that like? Like myself and Matt, we were not classically trained salespeople. In our venture before, we cut our teeth on sales enough where we were decent at it <laughs> after making a shitload of mistakes. But even with that, right, even when both of us were probably stubbornly confident that we could make the sales and we made a few sales at the outset. But but the reason why we had so much energy and momentum is because our employee employee number one was a great sales guy. I mean, a guy with all the confidence in the world. He had done it before. Um, he would back down from, you know, no situation. He had thick skin. So, so literally for us, em- employee number one was a great salesperson. And that, that's honestly what, what made this something. Because if we didn't, and, and, and that salesperson was the one who drove the majority of the momentum of getting in hundreds of locations very early on, uh, maybe our fate would be different. Well, you know, with, with your first hire, is there? Did you feel there was a challenge um, with hiring the first person to be like, hey, 
we're a new startup. This is our dream. Are you on board? Like, do you see our vision? Was, was there challenges around that? Yeah, always. I mean, I, that's such an artful conversation because you just have to build energy and trust and you have to sell. <laughs> to recruit, you have to sell hard. You have to make commitments and promises that you're not sure whether they could come true and, and all the while being transparent and honest. But it is an artful process because first you have to drive excitement and, and buy-in and then you have to drive alignment and align on expectations. And then you have to deal with things like making sure people get paid or at least being sure that they're going to make enough to pay the bills, right? Um, and so it's a really artful sales-driven process. And um, it, um, it's tough. It's tough. You really have to convince people to take, take a leap of faith. It is great to have that upfront alignment. So it's always great to spend the extra time to make sure that people you're hiring share the vision. Not just a little bit, but th but they have the ability to be completely and utterly bought in. In a lot of situations where I've been involved in hiring, just jumping the gun and feeling like someone, you know, is thirty percent bought in and 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 passes the bar. That those are instances where hires haven't worked out. It's tough because you have to be disciplined about making sure those first few people are incredibly bought in. And what are some common challenges with customer success at an early stage. Um, how would you tackle those stages early on? You got the you got the traction, you have repeatable customers. How do you handle them now? Yeah, you you almost you know, you have to make a lot of mistakes to to iron out the roadmap. Um we didn't know what that was at the beginning, right? I mean you think you know. And then life happens and fast forward six, twelve months and, and you've got this host of learnings like you know, here are what customers call about. Here are what customers, you know, are angry about and frustrated about. Here's, here's what we could have done to better educate. You know, to better build excitement in the sales and onboarding process, uh, to make life easier on the customer. Um, here's what tools and and new services and features they want. And you think you know that up front if you're lucky enough to to hire a great customer experience or account management talent. Maybe they'll know more up front, but, but we didn't. Uh, so we just had to learn it. And, and it just meant sort of augmenting and frequently updating the customer success playbook uh, from the lessons we learned each month. Um, and now, and, th and then again, that's, that's something where you look back two years and you say, well, we finally may sort of understand it now. But even now, we're you know going into our you know, almost our, thir our third year, we know that even now the, the customer success playbook needs to be evolving and, and will evolve more for us in 2018. So it's a moving target. We learned uh, via mistakes. And, and my view is you either sort of learn it uh, trial by fire, or you bring in someone who's done it 10 times over and, and could author a pretty good playbook out of the bat, uh, right off the bat. And what is, what do you feel like, in my opinion, I see this as well. I feel so many founders are let down when they don't see traction overnight. This is completely unrealistic. What are your thoughts on this? How, like, on, on patience with traction? Yeah, it's tough. It's, it's definitely a balance. I, I mean, I think you have to be incredibly patient, but you also have to be honest with, with yourself. Um, because, like, the, the marketing agency, which we're lucky, led us to a much more interesting, fruitful, and, and great business, which is Upshow, we were getting good traction, 
the sales cycle was so long. The, the business model was not great. It was kind of a campaign-based business model trending into a more sort of services-based business. You know, we were always looking for the next check. Um, and, and we were getting sales. I mean, we were closing good sales. They were taking forever. I mean, it was back-breaking. Um, and so we were patient and that patience paid off. I mean, we, we built a real business, um, that was making real money and, and we were always upping the stakes, but we were also honest with ourselves that we weren't going to build a huge business with, with that previous business model. And so we made a change and I, uh, it's, it's cool. Just now, I mean, there's so much networking in the Chicago early stage space, but you talk to some founders who have a great great product and it's like well what's your penetration you know what how many customers do you have and and then you can just see that they've just been breaking their back for nine months to to get something out there and it's not out there yet so i don't know i think it's a balance you have to be patient but you do have to be brutally honest with yourselves and we've had to do that where we've had feature sets or product lines or offers that we've tried to launch we actually had a completely new product that we launched earlier this year to help allow the staff within the venues where we have social TV market on social media on behalf of the venue. And we were patient and we made sales and we made some more sales and we were patient. And then it just became incredibly apparent that this, you know, this new product was not going to work. And so we cut bait. So that's a really tough one. There's no right answer. And it's interesting you say that. That leads into my next question. What's, what is a good indication for pivoting your sales and customer success strategy? In my head, I think if it's too long-term of a sales process, it might, may not be the right product. And on the back end, you and your tech team are working on multiple products to see which one sticks kind of around the same problem solution. What is a good indication of that? Yeah, I mean... I, I mean, I think if you can't make a sale in technology, at least in enterprise sales take long, right? But if you can't make a sale in, you know, six months, okay, nine months getting sort of long, 12 months, like if, if no one's buying from you in 12 months, like you, you may consider rethinking, am I truly solving a problem? Am I truly bringing value or am I? Or is something else systemically wrong <laughs> in terms of how I'm trying to get my message out, which could be possible. So time, as dumb as it sounds, I mean, you, you, you know, every squirrel finds a nut. And so you got to be honest with yourself there. And uh, just business model, uh, you know, and cost to serve your customer. I mean, if you're making some sales, but you know the momentum's there, the scale's not looking as possible or as easy as you think. Um, and and you're running numbers, and it's just you'd have to kill yourself to make it a big business. You know, I look at look at that too. I still look at that with our business, like what. And then just customer success. If everything that happens with your customer is a blunder, or they're they're not seeing the value, and you're getting terrible, you know, the feedback that um, this wasn't what they thought it was, and it's not adding, adding value, then that that's probably the third thing that I think about. I like the self-awareness on that. I, I, I do see a lot of founders, they're really romantic with their product, right? And you see this with other founders as well. They they go to the market and even the, uh, they'll make one or two sales a month, but it's still not enough to bring good revenue in the door. And then on top of that, the customer success is super shitty. I, I don't see 
what what exactly goes on in their head, but why do you feel so many entrepreneurs are maybe too in love with their product and maybe not open to what a market needs? Oh God, I know it's it's tough. <laughs> I, I think you know to be an entrepreneur, you have to have a a little bit of stubborn DNA, and uh, I don't care what you know because you're you're told as an entrepreneur, be ready to hear no <laughs> a lot, and be ready for people to tell you you're crazy, and just you know keep on, keep on, and and you'll achieve your goals, um, which to a certain extent is right, but it's hard to know you know, when to turn that feeling on and off, but it's, you're, you're absolutely right. Like the product I mentioned that we decommissioned, I still love that product. <laughs> and, and it was the same thing. It's like we were selling 25 units a month and it just wasn't growing. It wasn't delivering the value we thought. And I still love the product. Even since we've decommissioned it, I still think about it. I'm like, man, I'd love to figure out a way. And it's just people, people create, babies it's their baby and it's hard you know no one wants to hear that their baby's ugly and it's it's really tough to give up i think it's just just inherent stubbornness that makes most entrepreneurs really really successful i guess it's just knowing when to turn the stubborn off and and just listen to the forces outside and what they're telling you and i have a question i ask all my founders adam what would you tell your younger self six to eight years ago from what you know now and and why oh god that's a tough one there's a couple of key lessons i've learned people is everything right you can't be successful alone and a, and a, a lot of entrepreneurs again they feel like and probably can do everything or a lot of things and feel very confident across multiple disciplines and it's it's really hard to let that go. Um, and, um, but you sort of learn that you can never do anything alone ever. I mean, you'll no one's ever built a great business alone. And I, it's just all about the people you have around you and then continuing to up the stakes in terms of surrounding yourself with great talent and getting yourself in that position is inherently hard because you really have to go out there and hunt for it. And then once you find it, you have to sell it. <laughs> and you, you, you know, that whole process is sales within itself. And so, so that I only learned over time. And, you know, you think when you're younger that you can do everything and that you'll be the sole reason that a venture or an idea or a business can be a success. That is so false. And then I think the, the sort of the sequel lesson to that is when that, when things start to fall in place and you actually start to get talent, you got to like, if you're going to lead and grow, you got to just like let stuff go, trust people more, make less decisions and and release those things that you love to do and think you're pretty good at it to people who hopefully are better than you. And I think when you're younger, you have a hard time letting go. Um, you have a hard time thinking you can't do it all. And then to grow, you really have to do a 180, find great people, surround yourself with great people and give up, give up work streams, build trust and and be more of a simplistic person in terms of what you focus on to help guide to help guide a company. I still work on that, figuring out how to get great talent, make less decisions, uh, be more simple-minded. <laughs> you know, focus on the simple things like, hey, raise money for the company. You know, make sure our revenue is is growing. Make sure our people are happy. Like the core simple things. And uh, so that that I guess is probably my. I know it's a complex but deep, deepest lesson over the years, and it's 
it's tough, but I work on it every day. Thank you for the humility, Adam. And uh, thank you for so much for hopping on the podcast too. Yeah, this was great. <laughs> it's it's bringing a lot of life lessons uh, right to the forefront. So hopefully now <laughs> I'll be able to draw on what I've learned over the years. And uh, uh, thanks for having me on the, the podcast. It's been fun. <laughs>